Hello, friends and enemies. Um, this is Ben. Unfortunately, we have to start today with a little bit of an apology. Um, our Brandon's microphone was broken. We did not realize it, and so we got zero audio from Brandon. You can hear him in uh, Daniel's and my microphone, but it's faint, and sometimes you can't hear him. And it's a little bit embarrassing, but we did our best, and I think hopefully it won't deter your enjoyment of the episode that much. Um, if you would like to help us make sure that this never happens again, please Venmo us $100 a week so that we can hire an engineer. Thank you so much. Um, I think the twist is bad. Mm. And good night, Mommy. I disagree. Good movie. What did you like about it, Ben? <laughs> that it's a good movie. <laughs> it's it's um I don't know, it's been like five years since that came out. So that I was, like the mood. I like the first twenty minutes. Is it is it like a Hanukkah ripoff? Is that why you don't like it? A little bit. Oh I don't think it is. Did you, Ben, did you like the, just like the, the, the demon boys, did they remind you of your, of mm -hmm. your nephews a little bit? Well. <laughs> Playing tricks around the house? They were pretty little when that came out, so I don't know. Interesting. Brandon, what do you think about that? I don't like it. Why? <laughs> don't, it's, it's been like on the iTunes top selling horror Still, like, like seven years. How long well, I think that's oh, because that's the tra or the the well, the trailer is pretty terrifying. But the the, the poster really is so unsettling. The red poster with like the 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 the, the dark eyed mm -hmm. demon boys looking all Aryan and evil. Yeah, oh, the trailer! The trailer was one that I had to you know watch on my laptop through fingers over my eyes. Mm -hmm. That, so that was one that, that might have been like the straggler on my need to watch list for that year. And ultimately, I was just too scared to do it. I mean, it's not that scary. Though. Well, most movies aren't. Most movies aren't as scary as they actually right. are in your head. Right, or they are rather in your head. Like oh, you not a bit. I thought Deep Red was like a demonic <laughs> doll movie. Well, no. the poster leads you to believe. Well, and then the basically the one screen grab I'd ever seen from Deep Red was the the doll, the doll on wheels, mm -hmm. in like the the busted open head. I was like, I'm getting vibes of Chucky here. This is going to be difficult for me. But you were fine. I was totally fine. I loved it. It's an adventure movie. That's this like we only watched a couple of those Jalo movies, but finding out that they're more like adventure movies with a lot of gore rather than anything else. Mm -hmm. The ones we watched anyway. I gave Good Night, Mommy four stars on Letterboxd. What was your review? Did you say, <clears throat> if you're watching a movie Did I rate it? Do you see and there's two yeah. kids with stars. a pair of scissors? You gave it three. Oh, that's, so you didn't hate it. No, I don't hate it. I don't think it's that great. Huh. And you gave the favorite three and a half. Correct. Huh. And I gave the Christmas Chronicles three. <laughs> the, the Chris Kringle Chronicle? <laughs> Which I gave half of a star. I was having a good time. I'm glad. So is my mom. And, then, and the four-year-old. Good. Did that make it worse for you? Mm -mm. Sometimes it's well with family, not so much. But it's hard to be in a theater. It's hard to be in a theater where everyone around you is vibing with the movie, and you just want to stand up and be like, "At what price? <laughs> like this? 
That's how I always feel <laughs> in every movie I've ever seen. Sure. <laughs> but not Widows, because you didn't want to yuck anyone's yums. Yeah. Oh, I had a weird... What was this? Like, get ready to yuck this yum. Oh. <laughs> what, which yum specifically? I don't know. All of them? <laughs> There's a lot of yums in um, The Favorite, and then they get... Blech. They really get yuck. How about how about that <laughs> blue frosting up chuck? Yes. Right on the on the lips. That's hot. And then she <laughs> takes she, another bite. She, she's gotta keep <laughs> gotta I keep plowing forward. I love that. I would also do that. Good to the last drop. The favorite. Olivia Coleman in the favorite. Good to the last drop. Uh, just a lot of cunt struck. Okay. Okay. Struck. So I. You said it. I'm not going to say it. I figured later in the episode I would say that my I've I it's been a while since I've laughed as hard as a line of dialogue in a movie theater as the word that reminds me of filmstruck. Yep. Yep. I don't feel comfortable saying it, but yes. I'll <laughs> yes. say it. Yes. I need someone to photoshop the moonstruck poster as a picture of <laughs> Olivia <laughs> Coleman and it says Cuntstruck. Oh no. <laughs> next. Thank you. Next. <laughs> Thank share. you. Thank you. Next. Share with our arms. I'm excited, but it's Olivia <laughs> Coleman vomiting. <laughs> Thank you. Next. Thank you. Who's the the blonde hot? I meant to look him up. Joe Alwyn. What is he in? He's in that I know. Isn't he of? <laughs> Billy Lynn's long halftime walk? Oh yeah, he is. He's isn't Billy he the, Lynn? Yeah. He's the titular role. He's Billy Lynn. That's right. God, every time that a chapter came up with a line of dialogue, and then that line of dialogue was said, Beanie Feldstein reverberated in my brain. It's the titular role! <laughs> Every fucking time. Wow. I was infuriated. I, I dreamt last night wow. that I stabbed you in the eye. <laughs> or whatever it is. And then they say it. Did you not like that, Brandon? No. <laughs> okay, let's wait. Well, Maybe let's talk about something else before we before we dig into this. That's how I felt computer. every second of Suspiria. So. <laughs> well, the, I, it didn't bother me. They just have chapters in common. I mean, Buster I Scruggs has chapters, what? so it's you can't throw them all out. I mean, I have no problems with the favorite, so I'm not throwing anything out. I'm not talking to you. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm the one yucking the um. Where? What's his name? I'm trying to look him up. He Maybe. just said Joe it. Alwyn. There's another movie that had chapters this year. He's gonna be well, the Mary Queen of Scotland. The Lars von Trier movie is going to have chapters. I won't be ske- I won't be seeing that one. And then I think there's. I'm going to see it. Well, I think that most. Pe- I think most people are going to see it. I'm not saying that I'm better than anybody for not seeing it. I'm saying that I'm taking a moral stance against the film, mm-hmm. which makes me pious and boring and not a true lover of the cinema. I guess, but I can think of so many things I would rather do than watch Lars von Trier via Matt Dillon mutilate a bunch of women and slice off their nips. Sure. But some people really love it. It comes out this Friday, right? Yeah. It, com- it came out. Buy your tickets. Last- it's out already. It's, it's out. out. Buy your tickets now for a few days ago. Uh, so that has chapters. Please tell me Roma doesn't have chapters. Mm, Roma's got about 10 chapters. In the life of young Alfonso Cuaron. There's no chapters. There's no chapters. chapters. I'm just, I'm sick of chapters. I'm sick of it. All right. <laughs> okay. Calm down. Jeez. I know you don't like to read, but <laughs> God. I can't. I can't yeah, so when, when the text came up and it was all the favorite, I was yeah. like, I can't read this. It's, a, literate. it's also a little triggering. It's like I came to the movies to see a movie, not to read a book. If I was reading That's a book, I'd be drinking a, a hot tea on my couch with a with a knitted blanket on, you know? I was very disturbed. I don't like text on screen. Foreign films, fine. 
text on screen for chapters. No. Not for me. Wow. I'm just kidding. You're well, so I, about I think. <laughs> I think that. I don't know why. Oh, oh, I know. Why this especially was triggering me in this movie. Usually chapters, I don't care. I don't either. I pre- this time that they just seemed. I don't know. I didn't. I wasn't. It was. Aren't, it was really. Aren't there like seven chapters? I think there's eight. There's eight yeah. chapters. Great. Yeah. I appreciated that it wasn't three. It wasn't five. It wasn't six. I guess. Like it was I, a ton. It was a ton of chapters, and it was not. And this is. But you know what I really like about the favorite is how many chapters there are. Yeah. I just want to get that point on the table first and foremost. But it's just, it, at least it wasn't being cutesy about it. Like this mm-hmm. is a five act play. You know, yeah. um, bad times at the El, bad times at the El Royale. I think does chapters. Oh god. And I didn't see that film, but I think there's a legitimate grievance to be made against chapters in a movie because it all harkens back to the infinite uh, loop of Tarantino knockoffs mm-hmm. we've been dealing with since Pulp Fiction, right? Like that, it somehow makes your movie edgy and novelistic. Cool. <laughs> mm, it's rich like a novel. Mm. I don't mind chapters in this Mick, movie. Mick Lasalle. Mick Lasalle. chapters in your It's rich like movie a novel. Yeah, it's Tarantino. Yeah. What's <laughs> your favorite movie of all time? It's not. Oh, Kill Bill. The Kill Bill. Killing Billing. Is he? Not anymore, depending on who you ask. What's his new movie, Old Time Hollywood, Fast Ridgemont, mm-hmm. Hollywood, Leo DiCaprio in a car? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it. That's it. Old Times at the El Royale. <laughs> Good. Good Times at the Old Hollywood Studio. <laughs> once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Is that it? That is, yeah. that is what it's like called. Like Once Upon that a Time in the called. West and Once Upon a Time in America. He's finally doing wow. it. Wow. And, and, like, and, and, wow. and like the first chapter what in Inglorious Bastards. Once upon a time in Nazi occupied France. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. He loves movies. Did you know that? Did you hear about that? What? And I guess he likes books too. Wow. Wow. He wow. loves it. He just loves illiterate film. I haven't heard that. Can you? Uh, are, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Tarantino likes movies. Yeah, you know, not many people know this, but he worked at a video store when he what? was young. Yeah. He watched a lot of movies in, that way. Not in, not certainly not in like Southern California in, in Santa or, Monica. No, yeah, he lived here. Well, I imagine if you if you worked at a video store in such a formative year, your brain must have been like a sponge. Yeah. You must have just been watching so many movies. And you just have an encyclopedia, yeah. of references and touchstones. I know. He went to film. I didn't. I didn't go to film school. I went to film. I don't think that is Tarantino who said that. I don't don't think that is someone. Someone said that. Mm -hmm. Paul Schrader said that. (laughs) He did go to film school, though. Oh, that's. Do you go to USC? Yeah, for his graduate degree, I think. Anyway. Chapters. Chapters. Are there chapters in First Reformed? No. It's like a 20 minute movie. What I, so. it's, it's like Cold War. It's a nice 85. It's a brief. Uh, it's a brief film. I was so moved by Ethan Hawke's Gotham's award speech. Oh, I didn't watch He was talking about how we are living in times, we're living through times of division. And he, yeah, he was like, <laughs> First Reformed was a documentary. He's talking about how, you know, our leaders are stoking hatred and division. We have a dying planet. Racial inequality is at a fever pitch. Um, and how in times like these, it falls upon the artists to lift the souls of society because no one else is doing it. 
basically when there's a void and when, when there's a gap when there's a void in leadership it's up to artists to fill that void yeah. and help people believe in people and again. first reformed lifted people's spirits in, in the air on, on, a, on, a, on a magic carpet ride on a magic carpet ride made them feel good about. Is this an anti-first reform podcast now, or no? It's just bleak, is all. Yes, is all I'm saying. Yeah, I've told you, like bleak movies are so comforting to me. I know. Like I think about <laughs> bleak movies as just being a big just warm a blanket. Warm blanket of Amanda Seyfried's body. Yes, and we are flying through space. <laughs> space and time. Oh. Um, My cat is Amanda Seyfried. How is the ride? I know the rider came out. Why? This is probably common knowledge, but why was the rider? Oh, be, ha- be happy to tell spirits? you. Because the indie spirits allow movies that debuted at festivals in that year to compete. So Elizabeth Moss could have competed this year for her smell. And I was somewhat surprised that she didn't get a nomination. But but only because that sort of seems like... And that's why the Hurt Locker... I can't believe Nellie Portman didn't get one for Vox Lux. Thank you. Next. <laughs> I don't. I did a lot of minefields on the show today. I don't want to, I don't want to wait into. But so, yeah. So the writer debuts at Cannes last year. That's all. Mm-hmm. So they allow, got it. They base it on the festival. The Heart Locker got all of its indie spirit nominations. All two of them. The year, the year before. Yeah, not in, not Oscars. including Best Picture or Best Director, which is wild because the Heart Locker is a master master. But then it was f. It was a hit. I've what? heard about that. Money. No, I'm sure. Can you believe that? Well, no, but I mean, I'm sure the Hurt Locker made so much money, and because it's a war movie, it must have been such a titan against all the other small scale movies. That's got to be right, right? Like, not nothing else it that was, was nominated. It is still the highest grossing movie of all time, the Hurt Locker, and therefore, of course, the highest <laughs> grossing movie to win Best Picture. Yeah, correct. Of course, there was like some like Forbidden Planet or or or. Uh, Whatever that animated papyrus movie is, font. Pa- of, naturally, yes. <laughs> the movie's the, papyrus. the papyrus font. What's movie? the movie I'm thinking? Oh, fan- Fantastic Planet with all the blue aliens uh, and, and then the, the tiny people. Renee Claire so. was lucky to get nominated against Catherine Bigelow. Were they together at some point? Renee Claire, director of Fantastic Planet about the blue aliens Maybe. and the tiny people. Yes. I think Maybe. that's correct. I think that's correct. <laughs> I Thanks. hate Avatar. I, the anti-Avatar podcast. I, no, I love Avatar. I, I, I'm not going to defend its script. I'm not going to defend the papyrus. Well, I will defend its script. I won't defend the dialogue. I will, de- I will go to the ends of the earth to defend the pro-environmentalism of that film. That's why I like it. I didn't fall asleep in Avatar. I would, had the active thought, I'm going to take a nap now. <laughs> and then I took a nap. But Ben, did you see it in 3D? I did. <laughs> It made it made the nap even more vivid. If there has been a good version of 3D, maybe. Hugo! Two movies no. did 3D well. Okay. Avatar? How to Train Your Dragon. Oh, the, three, the 3D in How to Train Your Dragon is so immersive. And it does everything Avatar does, except maybe a little better. And because it is a cartoon... You, you don't feel the, the way that I feel around this live-action Lion King remake, which is just another more quote-unquote photorealistic, which it's not, animated film using more sophisticated technology. But for me, it's like the Uncanny Valley is crazy. Like, I don't care if I can see all the hairs. Like, I saw the behind-the-scenes of Monsters, Inc. when I was 12 years old. Like, I know how hair works in animated movies. But I fucking... Brave. I hate... Oh, her, her hair. The big headline was... Marita's hair is made up of eight trillion pixels. To which I say, wig. <laughs> this is not a visual medium, but if you could hear what my face just did. <laughs> what did it do? 
Um, I didn't see. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. Do you, want it to was, talk, do you want to talk about the Jungle Book? It was like Tiffany Pollard shutting the door. <laughs> <laughs> um, My favorite gif. I hate the Jungle Book. Terrible movie. You mean you don't like Christopher Walken singing as an orangutan? Is, is that singing? <laughs> if he was singing, I might have something to say about it. I like the Jungle Book, except when it suddenly decides it's still the musical version of the Jungle Book. At- is Lion King going to do the same thing? No, I bet they're no. They're gonna go. They're the gonna songs. go. No pun intended. Whole hog. I mean, they're gonna go for it, which I love, and I'm, I'm looking sure forward they will. to that. And it's gonna be the highest grossing movie of all time ever. And and I'm gonna and I I'll be honest. I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna hate the animation, but I'm gonna be moved because I love that. I'm probably story. gonna see it four or five yeah. times. <laughs> and I and I resent them for it. Have you seen the videos? Oh, and Amy like, Sedaris is in an, is playing an undisclosed role. Yeah. Sorry, Ben. What? Have you seen the videos of like the f- clips of the first movie and like Flawless is playing? It's great. Oh, oh. nice. <laughs> it's a preview. <laughs> I love it. You know what else is flawless? If you were to take the two Lion Kings frame by frame, the lines would exact like one on top of the other. The mm. lines would exactly overlap. Now, is that flawless or is that a flaw? That's a question that over the next two hours we are going to be dissecting in great detail. You wake up flawless, mm. post up flawless. My rock, pride rock. Thank you. Pride rock, flawless. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Movies IMO, everyone. <laughs> this is the Beyonce episode again. Should we, should, should we, should we anchor this? Hi everyone. <laughs> Hello, friends and enemies. Hello. Hi. Hello, friends and enemies. This is movies IMO. I'm gonna do the the NPR ladies, Molly Shannon and Anna Gaston oh. from the nineties. Please do. It's been too long since I've seen them. I don't know if I can do it. But oh. They're just like, oh. There's just a lot of like little gasps. <gasps> oh. oh. My my oh. my sh- my sweaty balls. Oh sh- I can hear your upstairs. <laughs> now it's sort of ruined balls. by Alec Baldwin of it all. But okay, when I went to bed at like midnight last night, which was already too late, but I went to see this film that we're going to discuss today, and oh, no. and when I got in bed, I don't think it's the gay one. I think it's the guy that lives next to Ben's talking about his neighbors upstairs. I hear them. Was singing. And it, I think it was an original composition, and it was so bad. And he would, and he would like, he would like pause and then like do vocal scales a little oh bit. God. And he was not a good singer either. It sounded terrible. La, 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 he, la, la. It, it was like he could hit the notes, but he just doesn't have a pleasing tone to listen to. And he, this went on, and I was like, "Am I ever going to be able to fall asleep?" But I did because Taking I'm sick, so musical I couldn't notes. sleep through anything. That's good against that a cheese can, grater. That's like, it's good to know that you can hear your neighbors because now I hear my neighbor. That is the nice thing about being sick is that, especially if you take the drugs, mm-hmm. you're guaranteed just, to be asleep. I'm out. What are you taking right now? Just like the a, quill. It's no, I'm not. But it's like it's not melatonin, but it is like it's like an all natural herb compilation. 
Oh, of things. Yeah. Is it like a uh, a Valerian root type thing, or I don't remember what's in it. I got it. A f- I've had it for a does while, it... so I don't remember what's in it. City of Valerian or whatever it is. Does it come it's in like a? a does it come in a? Does it come in a green box with a sleepy bear on the front wearing a little hat? No. With a little fuzzy Sorry, ball on the end. It doesn't. I didn't. I, I tweeted about honey lavender stress relief tea, oh. which I have been drinking by the gallon recently. Hell yeah. The sleepy time tea bear could say faggot. <laughs> But he never would. Mm-mm. My name is Ben Empey. I'm eating a cookie. My name is Daniel Crook. I'm not yet. I'm Brandon Kirby. I was eating a chip. Mm. Today, we are here to talk about the favorite. Yorgos Lanthimos. That was a Greek accent. Sure. Yeah. yeah it was pretty Everybody's cool. favorite Greek freak, Yorgos. Mm. Wow. Um, his third film in the English language. Ooh, probably both I'll say. His four, fifth film of, of ever, I think. I think that's right. I, I'm on, is Dogtooth the debut? I haven't I seen oh. Alps. I've seen all the others, which makes me a fake fan, I, I think guess. that's right. The cinematographer of Alps shot Private Life. Really? Mm-hmm. Private Life. Um, this is a movie about the Queen Anne of England. Of England? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's confirmed England. Confirmed. And she has... All those rabbits? She has a, a, a lady wow. all, the, all, the, all those Welsh rabbits? Beautiful oh, oh. rabbits. Welsh rabbits. And some sausages. <laughs> a pot of lampsang. And she has a lady-in-waiting lady, Sarah Marlborough. And... That's yeah. I found out today that she is Lady Sarah something of Marlborough. Oh, like she is the name. Lady of Marlborough, uh, but but she's Marlborough. Right. And you know why? Isn't that how? Because she... surnames are invented back then. No. Or she her last name would be Miller. Well, if it's, she was it's, Miller. it's it's like how in Shakespeare they will call him Gloucester, even though mm-hmm. he is like the Earl of Gloucester or whatever. His name isn't sure. Gloucester. But yes, they call her Marlboro, and you can always remember it because she, like Marlboro cigarettes, is cool and deadly. Oh, fuck. She is the lady-in-waiting, and then her cousin, Emma Stone, Abigail. That's an easy one. Comes to join, and she wants work from her mistress. Regular Jean Dielman. Yeah, she needs the work. Scrubbing the floors. She's going to put... Her hand directly in the lie. Right in the lie. <laughs> That's a brutal prank. Where's, where's the lie? Brutal. It's in the bucket with the water. You stuck your hand right in it. That's where the lie is. I know. I loved it. Oh, it's it's a revolting, physically you know that disturbing gif movie of Rihanna with her hand right here, and she's like. <gasps> Like excited and aghast. Um, that was my face. Literally, my every face time there the was a movie. new instance of Seriously, bodily harm, physical. some I sort of expulsion. The time of my life in this movie. It's very much a you movie. It really. So okay, is. let's continue. Um, and Abigail begins snaking her way Ooh. into Queen Anne's good graces, and much and, and <coughs> that's what that's exactly what I was going to say. And into her. Vagina. I like I like how it feels when her tongue. What did she say? Oh my god! I like how I, uh, it feels when her tongue is inside of me. So that's good. my favorite line I think in the movie. Mm-hmm. Is the best line. You have to get rid of her. I like, I like the way her tongue feels when it's inside me or something. Yes. yes. 
Me. Oh my god. <laughs> That's the highest pitch sound to ever occur on this very gay podcast. Congratulations. <laughs> Take a sip, Ben. So that's what the favorite's about. That's what you missed out the favorite. Well, that's the best description we've ever and had then, on this podcast. <laughs> comedy ensues. <laughs> Brutal, tragic, painful. So comedy. I quite naively <laughs> thought when people said this was a lesbian love story that they meant like the longing glances you sometimes get in a period drama. Full time. I don't know, the just like the subtext. No, Olivia Coleman straight up says to Rachel Vice, fuck me. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> in their in their first trip. They're like the Dan, first on screen. Rachel Vice and Joe Alwyn are doing the most elaborate dance. It's oh so funny. God. It remind, reminds me of the dance that Olivia Coleman does in The Lobster. Oh. And it's both are great examples of how Lanthimos is illustrating the absurdity of our social codes and rituals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When Rachel Vice just gets Flung around yes. on Joe Owen's belt, <laughs> and she's just dead faced. Yeah. He picks her up, swirls her around. And then there's that long shot on Olivia Coleman's face, mm-hmm. just so sad and angry. What a performance! What a performance! It's got everything. It's got big comedy. It's got big laughs. It's got big tears. What a film! What a film! What a performance! What a life we lead! And today we Through will also film. be discussing. Oh right, oh, oh. a Forgot. couple of other. Costume drums. Well, we should. I, I think it's more than just being costume drums. I mean, these are like subversive auteur pictures I, that bring all of the all of the above revisionist period pieces, mm-hmm. subversive royal epics. Yes, and yes, everything we're talking about this week is an auteur picture. Yeah. And auteur they picture. are Barry Lipton, <laughs> Barney Lipton. <laughs> oh, Barry Lipton. <laughs> My favorite film it's is good tea. Barney Lipton. <laughs> Barney Lipton's Honey Lavender Stress Relief Tea, which I've been drinking by the gallon. And Marie Antoinette. I'm not Marnie gonna... <laughs> Marnie Tony. Marie, Marnie Tony. Marnie Tony. Marie and Tony Erdman. Oh. And she's Austrian. Oh, my God. She's a German. She's a German. How delightful. All right. Just repeat. I'm just repeating things. Um, <laughs> After I said watched Barry Lyndon and Marie Antoinette, I was like deep into Wikipedia's about like the Prussians <laughs> and like every time I watch Habsburg. Every time I watch Barry Lyndon, I'm like, who are the Prussians again? Where do the they Germans? Fact- right? Yeah, they were the Germans. But I still get confused. The Holy Roman Empire. Like, are they Czech? Are they... That was the first Reich. Are they part Russian? Are they That's Prussian? That's way to think about it. Sure. That was the first Reich. I never really considered into watching these movies in tandem that they're all taking place, the favorite less so, at sort of the ends of their era. Like mm-hmm. the favorite takes place in the early 1700s, I think. So still less than 100 years. Barry, Barry Lipton ends with that... Epi- Barry Lipton, a chapter movie with epilogues. It is... The epilogue saying that this all took place during the reign of George III. All the characters, poor or rich, beautiful or ugly, are all equal now. Yeah. It's obviously the fall of the American empire. Or for the the British, anyway. Mm -hmm. And then Marie Antoinette goes without saying, ends with that devastating final shot of Versailles, Mm -hmm. smashed up and tattered. I'm not saying that this is a flaw of Marie Antoinette, which is a perfect movie, but I would love to see what Sophia and 
Kirsten would do with, with the, the last two years of Marie Antoinette's life. Well, but I something that these movies each tackle in their own way is is this is such a dumb thing to say is about how they tackle the period but with Marie Antoinette or how, how they tackle the period from the vantage point of the royals so mm-hmm. in Marie Antoinette it's all about how it felt to be there right it's shot with a lot of natural light but it's not doing what Barry Lyndon is trying to do which is trying to capture oh I should have lit a hundred candles instead of just one yeah then, then we would be in a, live, in a living Vermeer painting which Barry Lyndon is doing which is sort of more about how it looked but also with this sort of ironic grandiosity to it mm-hmm. and then the favorite is just to trip through hell and it takes that it maybe takes that point will of view. pass through it someday that's my ritual vice it's just not <laughs> it's not good not a good impression would you try it again for me later in the program sure i would also i don't know why i've had this thought all of a sudden but sometimes when i look at rachel vice's face all i can think about is when someone asked her on the red carpet like like, what do you and Daniel talk about? Daniel Craig, her husband at the time. Daniel Craig. What do you guys, like, what do you talk about? And she just, like, stared at them dead ass in the face and was like, I didn't marry him so that we could talk. Oh, Rachel. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Rachel Fuck Weiss yeah. has a real Fuck caustic her. wit yeah. that caustic I don't wit. think it's showcased in the movies enough. I mean, certainly not the movies that she's best well, best well known for. Is that a way to say it? Like The Mummy. Like the mummy, she mm. plays it. She, I mean, she plays a a ditz and a bit of a lush. Hamunaptra in the mummy. <laughs> Rachel Vice saying Hamunaptra is what turned me gay. Rachel Vice, <laughs> Rachel Vice drinking too much wine and just mm. like Hamy dancing and burning. And she's like, roll, roll, roll and see hey. Oh my god, what a classic movie! Oh we should do. Oh, the an mummy episode. is amazing. We should do an episode about the, the mummy. Is sort of like the last. Can you grab me a beer? Um, no, I fucking love The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. Well, The Mummy is one of the last, it's like one of the, one of the final few studio adventure films that know their movies that really get off on the big sets on the, on, 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 thank you, dad, on the, you know, the hieroglyphics on what is clearly just like foam board, but with the dark light and the sand on the floor, it looks like we're in an Egyptian tomb. Um, and just has a really good time doing it. It's a mo- they're movies that know that they're movies, and the mummy knows exactly the archetype of everyone in, in that movie, and it's just a fucking That was blast. like the end of the, the Spielbergian there you go. action adventure film. There you go. Because yeah. it was also the same year that The Matrix came out, which is yes. the turning point. And I, I mean, yeah. The Matrix is the masterpiece. I certainly enjoy watching The Mummy more. I said it. The Matrix. Prob- I mean, it's just the like Matrix a n- is a better movie. Nostalgic fave for me. Sure. You know, I only saw it for the first time a year or so ago. Of sand is chasing mm. them. <gasps> oh, what a classic bop that <laughs> film is. <laughs> what a is true a classic. Well, where should we begin? You're in charge this week. Yeah, I am. This is this is my royal performance Let's face. All put on performance voice or all right. royal voices. <clears throat> he is. Well, <laughs> I'm just keeping us in. This is my voice. Is this not how they spoke? No. I love. I love that all of the makeup is grotesque. Even so, she has the badger makeup at the beginning. Okay, so another I, thing. Last hold on, hold on. <laughs> last night. Oh, I got wonderful sleep. I slept like a dead badger. <laughs> that was a good one, too. Uh, 
Yorgos didn't write this movie. No, but it feels like he did. I know. Especially, wow. the, I'm sure that he did a punch he up. He didn't get credit. I'm sure he did a punch up. I mean, the, the line that Rachel Weiss has to Emma Stone when she's, or yeah, to Emma Stone, she's like, if you don't get out of this room right now, I will kick you and I will not stop. Mm-hmm. Like, that uh, is classic so, Yorgos. So, who are the writers? I believe one is a historian. I forget what their names yeah, are. Their are, names are Deborah are, De- Deborah Davis and Tony McNamara. Because if Great. you look at their credits, there's not many credits. So where did they come from? How did Yorgos find Deborah them? Davis has been working on this script. If I'm getting my history correct, I read a little bit of this earlier today. Deborah Davis has been writing this script for decades. Mm-hmm. Not like four decades, but I think for like around 20 years or so. Damn. This could none, none of this could be true. I and think, yet it feels so fresh. Yo, no, yeah, no. So yeah, so Deborah is not a screenwriter. She's a historian. She banged this script out, and then Tony McNamara essentially turned helped her turn it into a script sure. is my understanding a, writing credits. a lot of tv here okay um, yeah i'm just curious who they are because yeah this is the first i'm sure he then writer. had an agent and somehow it got to yorgos after the lobster in lo- yeah, makes sense. Yeah. yes because he was going to make this before the killing of a sacred deer oh was he mm-hmm. i just and remember i will never forget the day i was doodling online the day of the indie wire announcement Do- about this movie no i oh. i it was on studio system before <gasps> that i was looking up yorgos at work for something mm-hmm. and i saw he had a in development the favorite clicked on it and the cast was already attached and is it, this when kate winslet and was, I was still like, attached? <gasps> she was and i was like oh my god i'm gonna kill myself <laughs> <laughs> she was rachel vice yeah she played yes. Ra- she was gonna play rachel vice's yeah, character I don't know. These things happen. Yeah, these Life lives, gets in the way. She lives her life. You know, she had it's, Wonder Wheel. It's very yeah. much... Oh, yeah, and what a great choice that was. Love well, it's a piece of history. Woody Allen's it's final Woody film. Woody Allen's last yeah. movie. Good for you, Kate. But it is very... like the, the way that people actually end up in movies is very similar to the way that Barry Lyndon works and yeah, that its it view is. of life is ultimately built on coincidences, dashed hopes, not the, the, the path you think you're on, you either get pushed you off or never veers in another way. And then you find yourself at court if you're a white man. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Isn't there something about ripping off someone's mole in this movie? Yes. Yes. It's it's Rachel Weisz says it about Nicholas Holt. Who's great in this movie. Nicholas Holt, like, low-key might be my favorite in this movie. Oh, you know what my other favorite line in this movie is? It's not Nick Holt, but it is a man. It's, uh... I'm as hard as a rock, and it's our wedding night. Uh, <laughs> Which reminded me of Meryl Streep and Julia and Julia oh. saying, like, taking a cannoli out of boiling water and going, oh, it's as hard as a stiff cock. <laughs> oh my God. That, that's what that, that reminded was, me that of. Jetty Slate and Big Mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, as it's, as it's as hard as a big cock. It's as hard as Nathan Fillion's hard cock. <laughs> okay. Says that in Julia and Julia? Yeah. What? Yes. <laughs> Is that a movie rated G? <laughs> no. You've never seen Julian and Julia, have you? Yes, I have. The whole point is that, and I'm doing my best Amy Adams, talking about Julia. Julia was so wonderful. <laughs> Julia was a real inspiration. Well, as Julia says, no half measures. As Julia says, always put butter in it. Julia, actually, <laughs> Julia was a real flesh and blood woman. Julia Julia wasn't the... the <laughs> she wasn't just out of... She wasn't just the stern patrician mate. She wasn't. She wasn't that nice, clean lady we all thought she was. Julia had hopes and mm. dreams. The Amy Adams section is good. I would have to rewatch it. Silence at the table. <laughs> just like that was my review. Dumbfounded that, that, silence. <laughs> I would have to rewatch it. That was my review of uh, Florence Foster. Fuck yourself. I like the Amy Adams half better. <laughs>
<laughs> That's good. That is. Oh, rich. we're having what? we're having fun tonight. That is what? rich. <laughs> What's Lawrence Foster? Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Hugh, Hugh Grant though, existed. good. Hugh Grant though, good. I'm reminded like every two months <sighs> that exists, and I'm just angry again. I still just wish angry. Meryl had won that Oscar solely <laughs> because then her r- ratio of wins to nominations would be four twenty. <laughs> <laughs> Has she been nominated? Did she, was she uh, nominated last year? Was she anything? Oh, the post. So I, she's no longer. I think twenty. I do twenty one. Now she's gonna get nominated. Topsy, topsy, wopsy. Mary Poppins returns. <laughs> I, I texted you guys this, but the trailer for that movie is not insane. It's not good. It doesn't look good. <laughs> when Emily Blunt falls down, like the like, it feels like. It, it feels like, like it's like what is this? What is this? Oh, no. Flushed Hold away. On. Filmstruck just started playing this mommy incest movie that I had on pause. Wait, which movie? The, the uh, Silver the Cord. Yeah, the one that Manola Dargis tweeted. Oh boy. So I, I I think I think that if Meryl had won for Julian Julia, she does not win for the Iron Lady. I think that's right. Cowardice. Didn't Cowardice. she win Cowardice. the New York Film Critics Circle for Julian yes, Julia? Yes, which is a great win. Which by the time this comes out. Well, it's out. Yesterday, we found out who the New York Film Critics... Oh, tri- yeah. Congratulations. Con- to the to, favorite. To the favorite. Yeah. Best picture winner at the, the New favorite. York Film Critics Circle. Certainly wow. the favorite. Best actress winner, Olivia Colman. Mm-hmm. I bet... Like, best director winner, Alfonso. Yeah. Best think- actor yeah, winner, Ethan Hawke. Oh, Ethan Hawke, I think, is going to sweep these Best Actor Awards. Mm. I think it's great. I think it's great for the film. I think it's great is for the it, world. Is it going to bump him into... I think, I mean, I I thought he the was awards. getting nominated the whole time. I think it's... Really? So, well, so, Vigo has kind of... He's, a, he's burst into the race like a blustery, drunk Italian Well, guy. here, 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 bringing us back to the favor really quick. Everyone thinks the Rachel... Just really quick, and then we really can get quick. back to what we're supposed the to talk Rachel about. The Rachel Weisz nomination is, seems to be a foregone conclusion, but it's not. So I am pretty clear... Who takes that fifth spot? In supporting? Okay, let's go through it. Regina, Claire, Emma. Well, now it seems like Claire might fall off. D- does that seem I do likely? think Claire could fall off at this point. I think, I don't, I, I have not thought she was safe since I saw First Man. Amy. <clears throat> Amy, who's probably going to win. Amy, that's the so I, but the, just because they do preferential ballots for nominations mm-hmm. and who is gonna put? Who loves the favorite? That is gonna put Rachel Vice above Emma Stone. Me. I mean, I, I I'm on the record. We are not ranking the favorite women on this podcast. We're not ranking them ever. All In I, human history, never. But all I know, I is will say, as I've said to Brandon, yeah, you weren't here. This is the day you were late. We were chatting about this. Which day? <laughs> Every actor. I've ever met thinks Emma Stone is the greatest actor alive. Well, today. here's the thing: we're talking about people who should have and won. They're not it. wrong. Talking about people like if we're talking about also gets the arc. Yes, yeah. It, yeah it, it, well, I would. They I would argue. I would argue Olivia Coleman has an arc as well. It's a little more subtle. The most 
obvious. Arc. I think the movie ends on Anne realizing that, and there's a reason why it, it would do this gorgeous fade between Emma Stone rubbing her legs and the bunnies. Well, yeah, yeah. So, but no, but but what? But what do the bunnies represent? What was the one bunny's is, name? Hollandaise. Can I can I make my point? No. <laughs> That's fine. We can keep going. Well, go on. Well, no, just that the movie ends with Anne realizing what a mistake she's made mm-hmm. and that she will never have the love and happiness that she hoped she might one day have, yeah. which the bunnies represent in terms of the children that were she miscarried. Mm-hmm. But the movie is a love story between her and Rachel Weisz, which I was not expecting at all. I was very swept up in that. And whether or not she realizes that Rachel wrote to her and Emma was tossing her letters in the fire and then looking into it as Sufjan Stevens started playing. Mm. She, she realizes that, you know, she banished Rachel. The letters never came that she is never going to have the future that she thought she might, she might have. Mm-hmm. Anyway, as half of her body goes to sleep. Yes. Permanently. <gasps> permanently. It's so, it's so sad. This movie, is, but if all three of these movies are profoundly sad. Oh Yeah. And all quite funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're tragic comic. Yeah. The tragedy cuts really deep and the laughs are really um, dark. Win. Yeah, talk about constant win. When Marie Antoinette has to give up her pug. Mops! Her pug. Oh, and Mops! She's like, is pugs visiting? It, and there's like is 80, Mops visiting? Mops and 80 dogs bouncing around her. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Marie Antoinette truly did live in a hotel for dogs. Ah, <laughs> oh, Marie Antoinette, I'm, I'm finally dethroning are you? Yeah. As your favorite, Sophia? Did you did you change yes? your favorite films in your letterboxed? Those don't have to be in exact. I know. Well, the ranking still has... Well, I had Bling Ring above Marie Antoinette. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but no. Marie Antoinette was my favorite movie to watch with my high school girlfriend on a Friday night. <laughs> That's hot. That's hot. It was hot. Got it. Everyone got lit on that. So yes, going uh, back going I, back to what Ben said ten minutes ago. The montage of the cakes, eating of the cakes in Marie Antoinette with that song over it. Which, that's the but don't do the the one. Oh, is it I want candy? I like when she I like when she takes a bite out of that Converse All Star. The so obviously the contemporary soundtrack, but the the quieter like score pieces. I when I watched it because I haven't seen this movie since high school. Mm-hmm. I was I had a very specific like ratatouille like <gasps> oh, moment. Yeah, I love that. I did songs, too. And I think what I used to do in high school was I would flip through the soundtrack to get to the 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 score, the hits, the score. Oh, I see. And just feel sad. I like I, I had a very well, vivid memory. And, of, and I love this is sad. what's so incredible about the Kirsten Dunst performance is her just. Being sad in rooms alone, thinking about how she's let everybody down, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. Sofia Coppola gives her the space to do it. Yeah. Okay, but we need to talk about the favorite for a while. So I want to go back to what Ben let's, was saying about the grotesque let's makeup. Grapple with it. Well, the I weird <clears throat> the great the the freaky greeky shit. So I love. I fear confusion. Then what does she say about the pellets? I do well, fear confusion. A, a, That's a good Rachel Vice. I do. F- yes, it is. I do fear confusion, and she has such accident. a. Spe- she has accent. She has such a specific British accent that no one else has. Rachel like, Weiss. yeah, where's she from? <clears throat> I'm gonna do Rachel Vice and the Lobster. <clears throat> Thank you very much. 
Uh, I think she's Welsh. Oh, that would make sense. She does. Yeah. No, she's Scottish. What? Is she Irish? Who is she? She's, Rachel she's She's certainly British. W-E-R. Can we talk about the grotesquery? Yes, I love the grotesquery. I love the low angle shots in this she's film. from Westminster. England. Yeah. Oh, she's, she's proper posh. England. She's from London. I, London town. Ah, Academy Award winner. I like the Constant Gardener. I don't remember it. I remember a scene where Rachel, no, where where sex symbol Ray Fiennes is digging in a garden late at night as it's raining outside. I really thought you were going to say dicking, not digging, and I thought you were dicking her down. He's dicking off just like Billy Flynn. Thank you, next. Well, this movie basically opens with masturbation. I mean, it's not the He's very beginning. Wanking, <laughs> wanking man in that font. <laughs> yeah, wanking man. And like the W and the A are like five <laughs> feet apart from one another. <laughs> the wanking man. Uh, <laughs> I like how Emma tries to explain. There's a man masturbating. Oh, never mind. And then we cut to. <laughs> so good. Cut to. I like when she jerks off Joe. And she's just plot. She's plotting as she looks forward, and mm. it gives him a. It, a it is scene. Amy Adams in the master mm. blow job or hand jobbing. It's a yeah. very good cinematic hand job. Great cinematic hand job. Great cinematography. Period. Just What's the character's name. I'm gonna keep calling him Billy Flynn. We can call him Billy. Okay, Flynn. while we're Joe on this Alwyn. topic, can we talk about? I have something. Three? I have something real to discuss now. Okay, on the topic right. of the hand job scene. Mm-hmm. This is the first <clears throat> Yorgos film. Where there's any amount of human passion in the sex, but only in the lesbian sex, not in the straight sex that is in this movie. I think right. that's really interesting. It is, yeah. yeah, I, I think, think that's, that's really interesting. interesting, too. interesting. Really interesting. Well, because you can imagine Yorgos Lanthimos thinking of sex as just two gut bags just flopping on top of one another, <laughs> like two sad laundry bags. Yeah. I, so I, I, I agree with you on that. I think that the lobster is quite warm in places. The relationship between Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz sure. is so stirring. It's in, just not in, sexual. in the hard area. Yes. No, and I, I'm agreeing with you. Um, that's all. No, I'm and just, I think... It's not that it's his first movie to ever feature love. Yeah. And I think one of the more brilliant cinematic techniques that this movie uses, it's very... Barely a technique, but Ray, not Ray, uh, Emma is nude in a lot of scenes and you never see her breasts. Uh-huh. And then when Rachel catches her in the queen's bed it's like a slow light up on emma's breasts and it's shocking and it's brilliant yeah, and, and i gasped mm-hmm. i was like because <gasps> it trains you as a viewer to be like oh well she's been naked half of this movie and we've never seen her breasts therefore we never will and then when you do it is kind of shocking Sure. And I mean, it's also just as a director choosing what to show at which mm-hmm. points. And I'm not, yeah. even ta- I'm not even talking about nudity as much as I am a choice. That, a film is a choice that reveals the power. A succession of choices. I don't know if you know this. No. What, one, of, one of the most disturbing depictions of sex I've ever seen in the movie is in Dogtooth with the daughter and then the boy that her parents hire to have sex with her. I don't in the bedroom. Movie. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. It's a sing and awful yeah, in in the best way. I mean, it's a single shot of them like undressing and humping on her bed, but it is yeah. I truly have no Not there's nothing movie. sensual about it. It it feels aggressive in a really weird like banal and blank way. Seared into my That movie is seared in my brain. There's there's some sort of like Mormon loincloth. Yeah. Or something. Did they fuck through it? So, see something like that. But I think that I think that's a good observation. I never can watch again. Great. I saw it once and I loved it, but like I 
I'd like to see it again, but I've had a few years. I, I saw it maybe three, three, four years ago for the first time. Yeah. yeah. I, it was the only Lanthimos movie I'd seen before The Lobster, and so I wasn't surprised in the scenes where John C. Riley gets his hand shoved into a toaster, mm. or in the final shot when Colin Farrell is holding a knife right to his eye in the yeah. bathroom. Um, no, yeah. But I was not expecting it to be as tender as it is in places, yeah, and and to be as T I N D R in places as well. It's it's a very con- it's a strikingly contemporary vision of modern dating. Strikingly contemporary modern dating. We can cut a couple of those words. Um, <laughs> redundant. So is the favorite. I agree with you. I was wondering. Good lesbian representation this year. About, um, I, I shouldn't, okay, we shouldn't talk about discourse. Let's move on. What I was not going, what I'm, I'm not going Let's say talk about the say. grotesqueries of oh, yeah, the characters and the vision. Everything is heightened to the nth degree. The fisheye lenses, the disgusting makeup. The enormous wigs, mm-hmm. like Hondel is shaking. Mm-hmm. The way that they dance, the the ability that these people have to inflict pain on themselves. Emma Stone hitting herself in the face, like everything to get is, what she wants. Yeah. yeah, but everything is still like very amped up. Like the sound that the book thwacking against her face makes, Ooh, thwacking. thwacking. It's a it's a severe thwacking, mm-hmm. and. I don't know. I love the way that Yorgos puts these things into such specific, uh, brutal use. That's not the word I'm looking for. Well, he's shooting everybody in the most unflattering angles possible, and yet the frames are so strikingly beautiful from start to finish. And it's and it's a real vision of hell, like I was saying earlier. And whereas the candlelight in Barry Barry Lipton is used to evoke these Vermeer paintings and also get at what it was actually like to be in those rooms. Although the way that that movie was lit was they basically started with the candles as the key light and then just put in some fill in the directions where they would Mm. need. So it still Mm. felt like that, Um, like it was natural light. But in this movie, it's so much more about once you blow out the lights, you're just in total complete darkness. And, the same goes for each of these characters and what they're grasping onto. So with Rachel Weiss, it's not just the power, but it's the the relationship she has with Queen Anne. With Anne, obviously, it's just feeling love from anybody. And then with Abigail, it's trying to get some sort of power to like to get your foot on some sort of yeah. rung here. And then without that, they're just in this like nebulous hellscape. And I love the way that it's lit and the way that it reinforces there's that. that there, there's that scene Rachel and Emma are like underground not underground they're like in the basement or the kitchen or whatever and then it's like they have a whole conversation and towards the end of the conversation we cut to a shot where emma is then against like a blinding daylight and she's totally in silhouette it's also quite shocking and this so the grotesque lives in the wide especially in this movie and then when it does cut to a close-up it's that much more affective with Mm -hmm. an a to like make you want to cry. I cried like four times in this movie. Wow. Um, I like truly think this movie is perfect. <laughs> um, sometimes it was just like because it was so beautiful and sometimes because I was moved. But it's just like these like sudden 
Like, we are in extreme fishbowl wide shots, and then suddenly we're in, like, a very, like, tight close-up of Emma Stone's face, reacting mm-hmm. to one detail, and it's, I don't know, it's very powerful to me. No, I, I agree. And and as I was saying earlier, so many of those close-ups are from those low angles, mm-hmm. where every crevice on the face, which is already darkened or heightened by makeup, is even more, is ballooned even further into cartoonishness. And there's something very sad about it. Yeah. I mean, everyone's a monster. I mean, usually when you shoot from a low angle, you're trying to communicate some sort of power. And this is a movie about power. But he does it to everybody. Therefore, everyone can't be on equal footing as far as power is concerned. Mm -hmm. So it, it just turns them into these very sad monsters. And... Yeah, no, I feel you on the crying. I didn't cry, but I was not expecting to be as moved as I was by yeah. specifically, well, obviously, obviously Olivia Coleman, mm-hmm. but Rachel Weiss. I mean, yeah. she she is doing like Butch Ice Queen to such like meticulous, um, brutal detail. Not a good sentence. Whatever. Next, but I thought that. I thought this movie was going to build on people just trying to scheme the queen. Mm-hmm. But there's a moment when Rachel Weisz says Emma Stone, like, we're playing completely different games. Right. And what she's communicating is that it's not just about power and the politics for her, both of which are baked into it, but she does have a stake in her relationship with the queen. Right. She doesn't care about her husband. I mean, she's trying to keep her husband in the war so they can continue to funnel money into his pocketbook. Right. But for me, I also read it as she's sort of crossing her fingers and hoping that he dies <laughs> while he's out there as well. I think so. Yeah, and then she, then she can just with the queen. She can well, she can live in the palace mm-hmm. that Queen Anne is building her, and she can reap all the rewards of the money they've been funneling out. Hell of yeah, the, the crown. What's the Fuck yeah. That the movie opens with like, you can't love too much. Well, I think you can. Or what is it? Yeah, I, I think it's um, love doesn't have limits. No love. She says love has its limits, and then like, she, no, it, it shouldn't. It should. I believe it's it shouldn't. That's, Someone, that's I believe. Fellow film fag Chris File, his letterbox log was that exact yeah. quote. Wait, is that before or after the quote on the screen that says anybody who talks about California hedonism has never spent a Christmas oh. in Sacramento? Oh. Is that before or after that quote? I think it's before. Okay, I think that's right. Um, it's the first one. Yes. So I, I'm not, I'm not so unsure that it's a lot of double negatives here, that it's not a perfect film either. I can't, I truly can't, I'm not going to waste time on the microphone. I had a terrible time watching this movie because of the conditions of my theater. I was, I'm having a terrible week. I want to hear about it. I want to hear about the, 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 the distracting men. Okay. Yeah, what did they do to you? Unless you don't want to talk about it. I'm happy to talk about it. I just think it's boring. So I'm, I am. Love has its limits. It should not. Not to get too regional about it but i'm in the dome in hollywood the cinerama dome the story the legendary movie hall the cinerama dome mm-hmm. not to get too regis and kelly about it i have i'm in my favorite seat second row somewhat in the center mm-hmm. i have a full view of the curved screen mm-hmm. it's perfect it's ideal i'm sitting there in the silence i'm already having an absolutely terrible day and it's a monday so it's the start of a terrible week mm-hmm. But I'm at least enjoying the silence, and then I'm going to get to bliss out with these Colin Farrell, beguiled voice, vengeful bitches for two hours. So then this steady stream of straight film bros start filing in one after another, sitting behind me. With every, time they, every time they sit down, and there's a lot of standing up and then sitting back down. They're just making, it, it's like a bomb going off every single time. They are talking 
at least like when you would go to the cine family, like the film bros would be talking about, um, you know, they were talking about um, uh, uh, like Kieslowski. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they'd be they'd be having a dick a, a dick measuring contest about the Decalogue. Right. These guys are just talking about how like, oh man, have you seen Bohemian Rhapsody yet? Oh yeah, man, it, it's really interesting stuff. And then they just go into the production history of Bohemian Rhapsody, and then they're talking about all the other movies that they want to see, which were Green Book. They didn't say Green Book, but it was like Bohemian Rhapsody and something else. And they're right in my ears this mm-hmm. whole time, and they are loudly tussling with their popcorn and taking big crunches and just making awful jokes to one another. Mm. Just being like, "Do you think this movie is going to be your favorite of the year?" No. <laughs> yes. And then and then another one like <laughs> Toby, <laughs> like. <laughs> Which is awful. I, I don't oh, remember what his oh, name was. Toby. It was something like Toby. <laughs> Toby. And so then during the trailers, they are just yammering mm-hmm. the whole fucking time. They're not shutting their pie holes. They're talking about the trailers. They're talking about the trailers, which I gave him a little. I gave him a little bit of a little bit of length on the leash because mm-hmm. sometimes I talk in trailers, especially if I'm like with friends. You can talk during a trailer. But it's just the most asinine commentary, and they're all just cracking each other up. They're like, oh, yeah, I don't think... Yeah, the one thing they kept saying was, oh, yeah, Peter hasn't seen that one yet. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> who the fuck is Peter? We'll have to see what Peter thinks. Travers? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and so every single trailer, um, they just go fucking ape shit for it. Like, oh, this is going to be great. Peter's got to check out this one. And then it's like, taking, <laughs> ta- just Peter? taking fistfuls of popcorn and shoving them into their stupid fucking faces. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like fucking Olivia Coleman just like on the ground screaming in pain. <laughs> so then the movie starts. The first, like the quote comes up or whatever, mm. the first chapter and they're still shifting in their seats just like doing the thing where they're just like, like you know. Was like, it like this mud smells weird <laughs> yeah, or yes, something? Something like that. So they're they're basically like if the if the popcorn is the mixing bowl and their hand is like the KitchenAid mixer. They're just like swirling it around in the popcorn, making so much noise, and I can't I can't hear what's happening on screen because they're all right behind me. And I do like a, like a slight head turn, and then I'm like, "There's no way they're going to be talking through this movie." And in that first scene, which is between Olivia Coleman and Rachel Weisz mm-hmm. in an intimate moment, I don't even I couldn't tell you what they're talking about. But it's kind of a fascinating dynamic. Mm-hmm. It, they were setting up the movie, and then they just start. They get. They start talking during the movie. What are they saying? I don't remember. I was at this point. I was fully in a fugue state. I was yeah. so pissed off, and I turned around and said, "Shh," and then that that shut them up for about sixty seconds, and then they started talking again, and I fully stood up, grabbed my coffee, and said, "All right," and then moved five rows forward. <laughs> Where my phone promptly slipped out of my pocket onto the floor, and the woman I was sitting next to grabbed her phone mm-hmm. and turned on the flashlight to help me find it in the not in the middle, but in the beginning of this fucking movie. And I'm like, "Thank you very much. We're watching a movie. Yeah. I'll get it afterwards." And then the people in front of me keep looking over to their right, which is where my phone would be. So I'm wondering if my phone was wrong side oh. up, and it's flashing up during the movie. So for the full first 25 minutes of this movie, I'm not watching the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean. And I'm already having a terrible day. Yeah. It was it was a nightmare. Yeah, that's rough. It was really fucking bad. In my head, this would have been a funny story, but this I was so angry. And yeah, no, I would have been furious. And Bye. and then I slipped into the movie and was like, "This is astonishingly good." Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the cinematography. Well, there was the cinematography. There was the cinematography. There was the cinematography. Yeah, 
Anyway, so that's that's ten minutes on a pretty boring story. The but I was one so mad. complaint I have about this movie is very early on. Emma Stone is sleeping with all of the other workers, the scabrous bees, whores, the scabrous whores, and someone's fingers up her butt. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, someone's finger will be up your butt. <laughs> <laughs> you got you got your finger, and it's up a great ass. <laughs> Um, in that I was like they wouldn't be sleeping with the candles lit that's the only flaw I have with this movie is sleeping with all of those candles lit in that room they might they might if you gotta be watching your back someone might be someone might be afraid of tickling their finger up behind up in your taint (laughs) do you cut that (laughs) thank you next (laughs) You have a problem with the word taint? <laughs> no, I'm just being silly. You have a problem? Do you have a problem? No, I'm I'm quite taint struck. Where does she get the horse when she goes to get those mushrooms or herbs or whatever? She's crafty. She just takes it. She's crafty. She's, She's crafty. a crafty bee. Just like in Red Dead Redemption. Oh. <gasps> this movie yeah. is sort of a Red Dead Redemption wow. side quest. The favorite really channels the best of Red Dead Redemption 2's side quests. I agree. When you have to... Steal a horse. The moment where I really just surrendered to this movie is that scene where the queen is in pain because of her gout. Oh, yeah. By the way, love that the arc of this movie is really about someone having gout. Yeah. (laughs) Succumbing. Tracking how severe the gout is Mm -hmm. and then eventually the decline. But then, then, you know, if you look at film as like 10 sequences or whatever that theory is. Right. Some of them, like we we spike up, things get mm-hmm. good. The gout is going away. We're rubbing the herb salve all mm. over your gam. She's walking. With She's pain. walking mm-hmm. with, with that big plushy crutch, mm. and then half her face freezes. Mm. Anyway, um, yes, back that, to gout. Um, there's there's a little dissolve of all three of them. All of a sudden, it's yeah. like Olivia's over here, Rachel's up here, and Emma's down here. And I was like, oh, this movie's interest this movie's interesting. interesting. It's the kind of movie where if you were feeling really cynical about it, you could just be like, Yeah, it's doing a lot with the form, yeah. but maybe it's doing that because it's made by a visionary. Yeah. A forward thinking visionary. I think it's very good. I think the fades are really moving in this movie. I and then all, and then also the the dissolves uh, of the picture on top of one another. And especially I mean the final shot in the end, yes. The final shot is stunning. And for me it's one of the shots of the year, and I already gave my crackpot theory about what it's about, but the fact that it just keeps he just keeps holding on it. Just keeps going. He just keeps holding on it and then you, you I mean and you wonder what what the final focus of the shot is going to be. What yeah. is this going to say about the movie? At this point you probably realize this is the final image of, right. of what we're going to be doing here. Mm-hmm. And then when it ends on the bunnies, I'm just very moved. I am too. It's all I'm about loss. Moved. It's all I mean it's yeah. about it's about the loss of hope. Mm-hmm. It's a two of these movies are just about the Futile brutality of being alive. Barry Lipton. Barney Lipton. Barney Lipton. This is a movie about want go just going whole hog for what you want and like never thinking about if that's what you should want or if this will actually lead to true happiness or if this might destroy everyone else around me or this is going to destroy me or. Yeah, I think there's a question of whether or not Kubrick views him as an everyman. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's certainly a picaresque story. So he's shuffling through life um, in a way that we all do. 
like I've said earlier, like you're on one path, you think this is the one that's going to take you all the way to happiness mm-hmm. and to, uh, to simplicity and to mm-hmm. stability. And then, and then, and then someone steals all your money on the road, yeah. the, the, the pirate or whatever. And then you're going to be a soldier for a while. And that seems like a pretty good deal. And then you rise to the ranks there and then you realize, Oh, my best friend just died. and I've got six more years of this. So mm-hmm. then you find, then you steal the horse of a gay man and then mm-hmm. trot off. Like it's, we're, we're, all, we're all constantly having to renegotiate our expectations and our strategies in life mm-hmm. because most of your hopes don't work out. Most of your plans fall apart, but eventually you do make it through to some sort of firm ground and then there's an earthquake and then you have to start over. Like mm-hmm. there is no firm ground in the end. Um, but Barry Lyndon's an idiot. He's privileged out the wazoo and this is where I like. This is where I wonder if if Kubrick is saying he's the everyman because because right. there's a level of social satire here among the elites, and I think that there's something going on in how Barry slips so easily into it mm-hmm. because of how he looks. He's an attractive white man. I mean, this is not how this story would go if I mean for anyone but a white man. But let's just mm-hmm. say an unattractive white man. Like he might, he'd probably he'd probably stay in the army <laughs> or like get a pretty like you know what I mean yeah. like. It's Barry Lyndon is born with all of this privilege and all these advantages, even though he's born in like a third tier family. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but he is a hot white man, but he's really hot. He's hot. He's hot. He <laughs> Barry Lipton. Hot. hot. Barney Lipton is pretty hot. Crash, but he's, hot. He's, got, he's got a great ass. Well, do we have anything else to say about the favorite? I mean, I mean, yes. we haven't even really talked about the favorite. We barely cracked the surface. I mean, I'd love to talk about Olivia Coleman for a little bit. I don't know if you guys have seen The Night Manager, but Olivia Coleman, extraordinary actress. She's a good actor. Peep Show, amazing. I forgot she was in The Lobster. I'm glad you brought yeah. up her role. Oh, she, well, she and Rachel Vice are my favorite parts of The Lobster, and it's great to see them. She does here some. As well. Does some singing in the lobster. And does some dancing. Well, speaking of Anna Gasteyer, she's almost doing Anna Gasteyer and Will Ferrell oh, yeah. as like the, yeah, the yeah, singing yeah. assembly people. Like, mm-hmm. oh, 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 oh. Did you see Killing the Sacred Deer? Yeah. Did you like it? We talked about it on the podcast briefly once upon a time. Did you like it? Um, I do like it, but I don't think it says anything. Like, I think it's formally fascinating, and I think it's thematically nebulous. Great. Has another good cinematic hand job, but you're not going to catch me saying it's one of the best. Did, what do you think, Brandon? I love it. <laughs> nice. I love. Yeah. I love it. I think. I think the killing of a sacred deer works as like isolated pieces of what Lanthimos does best. Mm. Just the clinician's view of humanity, mm-hmm. the cynicism, mm-hmm. the inherent violence and cruelty, and everything. Right, right, for sure. But also just that in all of his movies, people have trouble communicating. Um, and it makes sense that in Dogtooth, like his first movie, it features these parents gaslighting their children into believing mm-hmm. certain words mean things that they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I think, I think oddly, The Killing of a Sacred Deer works as a calling card, but only in the abstract. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I just think it's a weird movie. Like it doesn't, nothing comes together for me. All of the disparate elements. So. Which I think is somewhat intentional. Yeah. But, and I know that you hate that. <laughs> like, well, it's supposed to be like that. Yeah. But I don't think that it's meant to cohere as 
that's a lot of dead air. <laughs> like like the favorite or, or like the lobster. I mean, the lobster is like two visions contrasted against one another and they're both perfectly discreet and realized in each of their hours. Um, and the killing of a sacred deer is kind of all over the place, yeah. but I will never, I will never write off a movie that features Colin Farrell telling his son that he gave his father a hand job once upon a time in the hopes that that would force his son to tell him a secret in return. And he doesn't. So it's just Colin Farrell, like saying the most humiliating thing. In, I wish Colin in was in this movie in one of the men roles. That would yeah. be fun. That would have been fun. I think Nicholas Holt is pretty great he in this is, movie. Uh, I hope he gets nominated. I think I, really, really I think Colin Farrell would be better. But I hope he would I hope he's nominated too. I think it's great. Fun. Would have yeah. been so fun. Olivia Coleman, the scene where she sees the children playing music outside mm-hmm. the window and yells at them to stop. And in at first it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And then you realize why she, and then you tell yeah. you realize why she's telling them to shop. It's deeply sad. I mean it's, this is one of those performances that is, I mean, it's one of the great performances I've seen in the past few years. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I'm already going to write it off. Like, it's already an all-time performance to me. Like, yeah. oh, no, we don't have to give her Best Actress. She already won Best Actress for this. You know what I mean? Not that we're ranking them. No, yeah, we'll but it is it, but... just she. <sighs> I don't know how to describe <laughs> what I feel when I watch her. But it's, I don't know. She is note perfect, you know, totally unconventional and surprising way it's everything you didn't know you always wanted in every performance that she has ever given Mm -hmm. um like i remember when i watched Broadchurch, and i think that was the first time that i it may not have been the first time that i saw her but it was the because she's the daughter in the iron lady um but i she is it, it was the first time that i was like who is this and she became my queen that day queen anne I I fell in love with her in college watching Peep Show, which oh, a friend of mine introduced oh, yeah. me to, and I adore Peep Show. I mean, it's I haven't watched it in a long time. I hope that I would still love it. But Olivia Coleman playing like the long-suffering girlfriend of the insufferable loaf Mark at the center is just too good. I love Selfie. The night manager. Oh, yeah. oh, she's great in Fleabag. <laughs> she's, she's great she's in Fleabag. Yeah, she's... Acerbic, caustic wit. She's like Celia Weston and Junebug. Uh, yes. Mm. Let's talk about the bunny scene. Oh, for sure. When when they're playing with the bunnies and and Olivia Coleman explains that the bunnies there's one bunny for each of the children that she lost. Uh-huh. Some miscarried, some stillborn, some that died some shortly that, after birth. Yeah. And then doesn't she say some that came out as blood? Yeah, that's a miscarriage. No, I know, but it? she says it. She says I'm that. saying the way that she words, says it. Yes. Yeah. And it's brutal. Mm-hmm. And it's you start to get a picture of why this is a crazy woman and what she has gone through in her life. And this movie really humanizes her in a way that I wasn't expecting. And just like from the other Yorgos films I've seen, I just, I mean, it has, this movie has a huge heart in a way that I wasn't expecting. And that's, yeah. that is the scene where it begins. And like, that's the first indication that this is going to be a deeper movie than you anticipate. And it's very, I think what I love about Olivia Coleman is that it's like tossed off in a way. 
but it's not. It's like the emotion is there, but it's like it's very real. She's trying to downplay how much this hurts her. Yeah, I mean, she's not a performer who is laborious and her craft outwardly mm-hmm. like obviously you have to know how to go there to are all no these... behavioral ticks right yeah of course and you she funny enough because the movie is so much a movie of masks like she's not she's not putting on like the commedia dell'arte mask or anything like she is she's always tonally attuned to some subtle register that you're not expecting in a movie yeah um like she yeah i mean like you said that there's no like behavioral ticks or anything mm-hmm. like that like she she's just she fully inhabits her characters and because she is able to do that, she doesn't have to show off. Yeah. Everything she does registers on such a specific and impactful emotional note mm-hmm. that she doesn't have to. She doesn't. She's obviously worked for it, but yeah. you're not seeing the work. She doesn't have to, you know, beg you for your tears. Like mm-hmm. she is just inhabiting the character. And um, and when she speaks about her work, like my understanding is, she doesn't really like talking about it all that much because she doesn't have all that much to say. Yeah, I think she's just she's a huge talent, but. And to say, like, naturally gifted is almost to diminish the work that goes into it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think... You would never catch her doing, like, the Daniel Day-Lewis thing of staying in character 24 hours of the day. Yeah. Like, she is just a performer of of profound emotional depth and is able to bring that in on fussy ways. You know who it reminds me of is Edie Falco. I just... It's... I find it impossible for either of them to deliver a false note just i just they are so in it there's just no it's impossible there would not be a false note she might give different emotions in different takes because she doesn't really do prep work and Edie falco doesn't either but and neither does de niro people have talked about de niro you never know like you can ask him to do the same thing again he's not going like he just doesn't he can't mm-hmm. but it's always going to be usable it's just a different emotion but he's always in it he's always in it always in it always in it but not in the way that Daniel Day Lewis is, 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 always, is in always in it, it. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm. Mm. and i also think Emma Stone gives a really good performance in and she i think she's doing a lot less than she normally is which is really weird because it's a big ass character but like La La Land, which is a movie I I love a lot. Her face is ticking and she's squinting. Oh, and she's stretching it all out. Yeah. It's very mannered. Weird flex. It's, it's but very okay. behavioral ticks. Be my favorite I think it's her best performance. Mm-hmm. I think that yeah. if she, had she not won for La La Land, she would be a shoe in. Yeah. This year. Yeah. For supporting actress. I think yeah. I think that's probably but, right. Yeah. Now that she's won, it's like well. Yeah. Won. I just think yeah she is more trusting of her presence, I think, than she used to be. Yeah, it's like, it reminds, and that reminds me of Hilary Swank in uh, Boys Don't Cry versus Million Dollar Baby, where Million Dollar Baby, I think, is a better performance emotionally, and all, she doesn't do fucking shit with her face in that movie. So lived out. She's just, she's just in the shot, <laughs> emoting, doing nothing. And what's tricky about the Emma Stone role is that, yes, she's doing all those things, but that's... That's the character that the trailer would have you believe everyone is playing. Mm-hmm. Just constantly code right. switching, right. changing right. character, changing motivation, just mm-hmm. working every lever, working every person in court mm-hmm. to get what you want. She's doing a different character in just about every scene. Yeah. And 
it kind of takes a while to catch up with her. Like when she st- yeah. she starts sobbing, I think at a certain moment to Nicholas Holt, and at that point you know that she's faking it, mm-hmm. but because she she is just living in the scene so presently, like it's 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 um, jeez, I can't talk about. It's like that scene today. you see her in the queen's bed naked, mm-hmm. and it it, it, it like it takes you a minute to catch up with her. Like, in that moment, for sure. And it's like, she... You are just kind of like, oh my god, what is she doing there? And then, like, as they're having the conversation, you're like, oh, right. She's trying to seduce the queen. Obviously, this makes sense for her to do. To show her naked body. And and I think that... And to be like, see, I could be in your bed. And to just to compare this with with the Rachel Weisz character and the Rachel Weisz performance... In the scenes between Emma Stone and Olivia Coleman, there is a palpable joy. And it's a lot is coming from Coleman because she's feeling safe and she's feeling heard, specifically around the bunny, is about all the loss that she's been through. She finally feels like she is dealing with an empathetic audience. And more so they just have like a they just have a fucking hoot nanny, like dancing together and like making up all the steps. Mm-hmm. And with Rachel Vice, it's always just a little more curt, it's a little more cold. But she has that line later where she says it, it, it's in maybe my favorite scene between the two characters and they're not even in the same space, but when they're saying goodbye to each other through the door and Rachel Weisz's character is saying like, I'm the only one who's like not going to lie to you. Like that's mm-hmm. what love is. Mm-hmm. Whereas Emma Stone is just lying to the queen's face the entire yeah. time. Like it's, it's, it's basically like the, I like how people how a lot of people like view love and relationships. Like yeah. they think that it all needs to be the dancing in the courtroom rather right. than saying like, you need to shape the fuck up and listen to me on this because I'm right, mm-hmm. which might be more what love is. Um, funny, her, her badger makeup sucks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That, better example. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I love the dichotomy struck there and I wasn't expecting it in this movie. I yeah. thought it was all going to be wheeling and dealing and backstabbing. And I think that it is certainly very all about Eve, which my dad watched the other day, funny mm. enough. Um, feel, but it ends up being so much more tender and heartbreaking than that. Did it feel dangerous liaisons to anyone? Sure. A little bit. No. Felt a little bit. But like I can see it. Well, I mean, it's a, it co- it's a wheeling co- and dealing. It's a costume like drama. Yeah. It is yeah. scheming. No, I think that's there. Reminds me of Cries and Whispers, especially mm. in the lighting. Oh, sure. I... So what didn't you like about it? Oh, yeah. Um, I had the opposite viewing experience you did, Daniel. I had a full audience, but my two seats next to me were empty. So I was fully... Fully, fully spread. I was ready to receive and accept. I was very mm. hyped. I was ready to go. Actually, I wasn't that hyped. I, may, I managed my temper expectations and just... Ready to receive the movie. I didn't feel anything. Interesting. It's fair. That is who you are. Didn't make me feel. I like. I was aware that I was watching three incredible performances that Mm -hmm. like will like be on my list and like be on my ballot, but like, um, the story beats. The I don't know. I I I wasn't. It didn't. I didn't feel anything. Hmm. Yeah, it felt form and performance to me. But it didn't make me feel. Yeah, I do think that the movie is more sitting with its characters' relationships and emotional dynamics more than it is thrusting forward based on uh, building block plot beats. Yeah, which you know, I can I can understand 
not feeling like the story goes anywhere, even mm-hmm. though I disagree. Like, I, I think that it's happening. It's all happening on a more emotional wavelength than it is a narrative one, uh, even though those things are not, you know, diametrically opposed. Um, like, it, I was thinking about this coming here. Like, I was thinking, is The Favorite more of a character-driven movie than Lanthimos's other films? But then thinking back on those, those are all fairly character-driven as well. Um, but this one... This one just seems to just like sit in the mud bath a little bit more than the others, which I liked. I think it's because like the quote unquote plot of the favorite is like the war situation. Right. And that is like one step removed from the emotional story that's happening. Whereas like in the lobster, his emotional story is the plot of the movie. And right. like going to the Although, place and I, yeah. escaping the place. I don't know. I just... Oh, and then Leia say do in mm. her fucking yes. poncho. Yes. It I... and they dance in the forest silently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Like this, much like eighth grade, should have been on paper a movie that I love. Like I love Yorgos. I love the lobster. I love killing yeah. the sacred. Um, I don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't get. I never could get with it. Yeah. That happens. And I can't explain it. I wish it wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't... I, it, wasn't, it wasn't clicking with me. I saw all the elements. Yeah. I love the fish. I love the cin- There was the cinematography. Mm-hmm. There were the performances. I mean, Coleman is... Oh, she wins. And, but I don't know. Something about it didn't click with me. Yeah. But I liked it. it I like it a lot. I like it. It's not... I don't feel anything in most movies. So. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why I feel like I'm the Ben this, this you time. You are. I, it didn't make me feel. Hmm. I didn't cry. I didn't feel emotional. I didn't, I didn't feel invested in the triangle as much as I feel like I should have been. Maybe subconsciously your expectations were higher than you think. Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. I'm not yeah. going to... I was purposely trying to not think about this movie a lot because I was sure it was going to be my moment. I think uh, I think that, um, and I hesitate to say this because I don't want to come off in the wrong way. But the trailers for the favorite and eighth grade certainly promise an experience that the movie is almost subverting mm-hmm. when it's happening. Right, and and I, I'll admit, like once I realized that I wasn't going to be watching the splashy fun all about Eve, even though I still found it to be fun and splashy, and that there's vomit everywhere. <laughs> But like it's it's a pretty mm. dour, uh, cruel vision, yeah. it's, it's which lovely. is to be expected in Lanthimos. But it is, I mean, it it's going out of your way <laughs> to make it ugly at, at times, um, and and I don't know. I just it made me think about it made me think about like how a really good trailer can sometimes fuck up a movie going experience. Yeah. It didn't for me. But and see, I, I thought because the trailer was so fun and bitchy, I was like, this movie will be fine to good because that's what it's serving me. And it looks fun, but it looks like nothing. Mm-hmm. And then it was everything to me. Mm-hmm. It always, yeah, it always, I think. Mm. And I'm sure that some people feel the same way about A Star is Born. Like there, there was a lot of discourse around how the Star Is Born was trailer. There? Yes, is there a lot of discourse about a Star Is Born? Maybe. I mean, it might just be the people that I follow. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's made very much money. I think that it's so. The Hurt Locker definitely the highest grossing Best yeah. Picture winner and movie of all time. Star Is Born will probably be the least mm-hmm. uh, highest or, or like the less grossing. I don't know the lowest grossing, <laughs> the lowest grossing film to ever be nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. 
something that I do want to say though about the the personal and political storylines going on, and it's it's a feature that is shared between Barney Lipton, Barney Lipton, oh, Barney Lipton, Marie Antonia Erdman, and the favorite is the idea of how much the personal bleeds into the political. By which I don't mean how the personal is political when you're talking about economic issues when you're talking about social stability when like like I, that's not what i mean by the personal being political i mean like in the high courts of these royal societies mm-hmm. these these monarchies these political decisions are driven more by personal grudges and yeah. animosities that then affect the course of human history mm-hmm. and i don't know i guess some people might find that sort of a cheap easy sentiment i don't when the uh when the drama is as engrossing as in these three films and in Marie Antoinette, like it's the, the, the political story there is even more secondary. It's only until it comes knocking at their doors (laughs) that they're forced to grapple with it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I I gotta say, I just love the Rachel Weisz performance. I think it's so shrewd. And the, I think that she actually does have, more than a personal interest in making money off of continuing the war, which requires taxing the common folk. Mm-hmm. I think that Rachel Weiss actually think it's good, thinks it's good policy. I think she does. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I think that she firmly feels in her heart that that is the right political move for the country. Because they can get a better stance in the treaty. No, but what, yes, exactly. Like and, she does see and, the- and, and a better castle for her. You know what I mean? But it's, it's both. Yeah. The, I'll tell you what, I'm not sure I've laughed harder in a movie this year than when Rachel Weiss returns from hell, uh, cleans herself up, and then whips open Olivia Coleman's four-poster bed mm. and is wearing... <laughs> she, oh, she, she, she has a piece of lace that is wrapped around her like a scarf and then up in front of her eye after after the queen says that she doesn't like the way that she looks in her current state with her, little, uh, with her hook scar. Did anything make you gasp like when Rachel Weiss returns and grabs Olivia Colman by the throat and vagina uh-huh. concurrently? <gasps> I mean, I was gasping. There was oh, which one was it that I was doing like, gasping? Oh, I can't there was one that really, really, really gotcha. Really, really th- threw you for a loop. Knocked me for a loop. Can we talk about Green Book? Can we talk? <laughs> can we talk about the costuming a little bit? Sandy yeah. Powell's costuming. I, Soon to be Academy Award winner for best. She's costumes. never won before. She's never won before. Is that right? She's never. never? Won. She's never won before. <gasps> she has to win. I mean, it's always the gown okay, movie. Just to be clear, we gowns. we've been doing fake Academy history this whole episode. Now, Sandy Powell's won like three times. Okay. Yeah, at least twice. I was that, I was confused. Yeah. So anyway, back to what we were saying. No, Sandy Powell has never even been nominated before. Okay. This is this is a first for Sandy. Uh, I am obsessed with Emma's gowns, <sighs> which are so. Nouveau riche, mm-hmm. trying way too hard to seem like De Bella De Ball. Speaking of green room, De Bella are, De Ball. Some are like exact ugly copies of what Rachel Weiss is wearing. Well, and Rachel Weiss is quite literally wearing the pants. I mean, she's yeah. wearing all these butch mm. neo neo. Um, Let's shoot something. Yeah, butch realpolitik looks like very functional, mm-hmm. very authoritative. She's going right. No one goes side saddle in this movie. Note that. No need to. Bitches. Mm. Shall we talk about Barney Lipton a little more? Yes. Barney Lipton. Fastest duck in the city. (gasps) The duck racing. Can you believe that Horatio was credited? Has he been in other motion Oh my god. So 
Barry, I almost typed Barry Lipton. My my favorite film, Barry Lipton. I did not expect to be taken by such profound sadness when I watched Barney Lipton for the first time. By Pork my filmmaker, Stanley Kubrick. It. So I've watched the first 45 minutes of Barry Lipton before. Oh. Mm-hmm. And, keeping that secret. Lock and, and key. That is the reason I was like, I will only watch this movie in movie theater because I'm not going to be able to do it at home. It was literally just like, I cannot do this at home. Yeah. Um, and watching it the other night, I was like, oh, this 45 minutes feels totally different than it did before. I was just in a, a better headspace this time. Mm-hmm. And it just... I don't know. It captures such a specific quality of 1970s filmmaking that obviously when it came out, they wouldn't think, oh, this captures such a specific... <laughs> no, I mean, and it got all those Oscar nominations, yeah. but I don't think at the time... It was not like... what It was just he was Stanley Kubrick, so he's going to get the nomination. He'd made several films before. Mm-hmm. Like, but it's not Tax... I mean, Tax Driver hadn't... No, no, 75? That would have been the next year. Is se- year Tax Driver 76? Mm-hmm. Okay. But, you know, we've we've seen both Godfathers at this mm-hmm. point. I mean, Barry Lyndon... There's something about... A, there's a but, soft quality to the light. Mm-hmm. And there's like a fuzzy quality to the light that I see in this movie that's very 70s. And it, it's very it's Altman textured. to me. Oh, absolutely. And the, and the zooms are also, also very, very Altman. Altman. I mean, they're, they're very Kubrick. They're very right. Barry Lipton. But yes. They're very A Clockwork Orange. This movie is very stylistically similar to A Clockwork Orange to me. Which may be my most favorite Kubrick to watch. Mm. The, the the meanest, the, the favorite, and a Clockwork Orange. The, the true Ben gets the most meanest joy out of watching. movie to watch. It just brings me so much. I think joy. Barry, I think Barry Lyndon's pretty cruel. I don't know if it's mean, but everyone's punished pretty brutally throughout. And again, everyone's hopes are dashed. Yeah. And also, just, I find it so. I mean, I think Barry Lyndon is fucking hilarious, and I think it's deeply tragic. Yeah. And this is sort of summed up. At several points through the film, but when Barry goes to duel with Captain John Quinn, mm. who has the funniest character introduction of any movie ever, mm-hmm. when he's just the dancing. When, well, the dancing is great. Oh, is, but when, we, do you see him before? And, yes, we see him in the military parade oh. where they are just marching around, and he has his head cocked at forty-five degrees <laughs> to the side, and just the dumbest grin on his face, and looks very self-satisfied, and just like unblinking stare straight ahead. Mm-hmm. It's just like walking sideways with his mm. gun. It's the funniest thing I've ever mm-hmm. seen in my life. But when you know, so the whole movie starts because Barry's a fucking idiot mm-hmm. and is in love with his cousin. And his cousin has decided to marry the fucking war hero mm-hmm. because the family will get 15,000 guineas a year or 1,500 guineas a year or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, it's a smart career move. Yeah. Be a military wife. It's 1770. Do what yeah. you need to do. 17. Yeah. It might be a little bit earlier. And she's a woman. She doesn't have any other options. It's a smart move. And Barry like, and, and Barry just gets his ribbon in a knot. It's just like I want my face in those breasts. Yes, and and so she wants the his face there for a moment at least. So oh, we can't. No, deny nor, that nor is having fun. Yeah. Nor is a young woman living life on her own terms. She's got a hot cousin. But so Barry, <laughs> she's going for Barry it. Barry calls for a duel between him and John Quinn, 
And he ostensibly wins the duel. John mm-hmm. Quinn is dead. Mm-hmm. He's given a sack of money and is told to ride off to Dublin before the police catch up yep. with him. He finds out later when he's in the service and a, a military peer of mm-hmm. Quinn's, who is his second in the duel, is fighting alongside him and tells him... And, and Barry is still fucking thinking about Nora. He's like, yeah. is there any word of Nora? And he's like, I think you mean Mrs. John Quinn. Mm-hmm. And Barry Lyndon... Barry, oh my God, Barry says... Is there another John Quinn? <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and and it's so great. And then, and then the guy tells him like, "No, like, dude, the whole duel was fixed. You had mm. toe in your musket. <laughs> like, you shot pretty good for toe. <laughs> like, the, they they were all manipulating Barry to just like get the hell out of yeah. town so they could get on get with their lives the in a sensible way. Mm-hmm. And that's what set Barry's life into its course. Like, he was." None of it was in his own control from the very beginning. It's out of his control. And then there's something so cosmically funny about that. Um, and it reminds me, you know, it reminds me of Busty Scruggs. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's just like sort of the Cohen's worldview. I was just going to bring up the concept of the misanthropic filmmaker mm-hmm. that I think people confuse a worldview that says the universe doesn't care about you with me as a filmmaker doesn't care about you Mm -hmm. and i think stanley kubrick and the coens both get lumped into that but i think both of them have profound empathy for these characters that it's just the universe is thwarting them at every turn i think it's i think which i think is true for everyone i don't want to i don't want to speak out of turn here but i do think it's somewhat telling um where some of the criticism from the Coen brothers worldview is coming from these days. It's from people who have everything going for them. Mm -hmm. I can't speak to their personal lives. I'm sure there's a lot going on there where they feel like they're not getting their due. And I'm sure it's very unfair, but I mean, when I hear people complain about Buster Scruggs being cruel for the sake of being cruel, Mm -hmm. I'm like, what world are you living in? Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) this seems fairly accurate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This seems fairly accurate to me. I and that's agree. what I, I've watched Barry Lyndon three times this year. In about six and, months, basically. Yeah, three times over the past six months. And like I was saying before we got on the mic, it's hard for me to watch movies for a second or third time within such a short span of time because I can't help it. I get ahead of the movie, not in that I'm being smarter than the movie. That's not, I have to watch my tone. I just want to make sure that's not what that sounds like I'm saying. Like, I just am so in my head all the time. I'm just. I'm just thinking about what's happening next and it's hard for me to get into the movie. Like Every- how I count chapters when we have announced when you- how many chapters yes, there are. Yes, exactly. Oh. Um, I don't have that problem with Barry Lyndon and it's partly because I just so... I so enjoy each of the many narratives that Kubrick is crafting mm-hmm. in the present tense. Like it, every time it feels like this is where the story is going to go. Right. And I forget that he's about to end up with a degenerate Irish gambler yeah. wearing two fake moles on his face. Mm. Ripping off Dukes of Hazard, you know, like ripping, off. ripping them off, ripping them right off. Um, and and especially this time around, I, I was really struck by how much I just love the first half, the first act yeah. of the movie. I mean, when I think about Barry Lyndon, I think about Act Two. I think about the Bullingdon drama. Yeah. I think about Court. I think about mm-hmm. those amazing wide shots of that, that are composed again in with this Vermeer lighting, but they they look like paintings of the time of just men at a table mm-hmm. um and i'm so struck by how kubrick is not just like directing those actors in the shot like building that tableau but how barry just looks like a fucking loaf in all of them yeah and that later there's just this gorgeous shot with all the men like around a table playing cards or something and barry is just slumped in a chair mm-hmm. clearly drunk and there's anyway and, and i love so much about that but especially that like 
you're struck by the beauty of it. And then you realize like, oh, history is populated by terrible men. Right. Um, but that's where my mind tends to go when I think about the movie. But uh, watching it for the third time now, I think I like the first half better. Not that it's about ranking one side or the other. Like the second half, it is the... It is like the brutal denouement. Every, yeah. All of the chickens are coming home to roost. Mm-hmm. But I just love the picaresque quality the of that Horatio. one. The Doc Horatio is, is coming home. home is coming home to race. <laughs> yeah, but I just I, I can't leave him alone. I just I just love <laughs> Barry Lipton. <laughs> just love Barry Lipton. Same. I want to watch it again. You can come over anytime. I so I've watched it on a laptop. Mm. I've seen it on a big screen, and I've watched it on my television mm. at home. And there's just no denying the power of Barry Lipton. Yeah. It works in all three. I mean, obviously, the best was the big screen experience, but... Bonnie uh, Lipton. Bah. Bah. Which would have... Wait, hold on. What's the narrator? Like, if... if I can't do it. The, in, in the very beginning, oh, when he's talking about yeah, his death... narrator in Barney Lipton, who... I it, love that he tells you everything that's about yes. him mm-hmm. because it doesn't... Matter. Like, matter. It's yeah. so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really... So good. It's a... It's a brave choice, I think. It's, it's I think it's brave. I think that's brave. brave. Yeah, I that was one of the first things I noticed about the movie was the narrator explaining what's about to happen. You know he's going to die, matter. penniless and alone, like when there's still an hour of the movie. Left. That's right. Yeah. It's like things yeah. don't work out for Redmond Barry. But yeah, here like we second, go. Isn't the second half like the the, the name of the chapter is like. He dies alone. The, oh, I forgot Horatio that. the Duck comes home to race. Mm. Yeah, Horatio the Duck. Is and there's the great epilogue about all men. It's on his way out. home, Redmond Barry. Barry, your place isn't secure here. Oh, how good is his? How the good mom. is Barry's mummy? Barry's mum. Your she, place is not secure here. She's credited as like Redmond's mother or like Barry's <laughs> mother. It's great. She's wonderful. Barry, Barney. Barry. Barney Lipton. Barry. I like... What else do I like in this movie? There was something else I wanted to discuss. Everything. I like everything. Oh! There's a moment... There's a hilarious moment in Act 2 where Barney is trying to accumulate wealth mm. through material possessions. Mm. And he goes mm. to an art gallery and the... The person, you know, the the one, the person who owns the gallery, like points out some, like a piece is like this is very valuable, and Barney goes out to it and he goes, oh, I like the use of the color blue, <laughs> which is just very much like I need to say something smart about this. I'm like, is he talking about heat? What's going oh. on here? Oh, what's he like? It's got a great ass. <laughs> like, uh, what, I, what, what I like about this piece is that this fellow right here, he's got a great ass. Let's talk about Marie. Let's talk about Miss Marie. Marie. Maria Antonia, who crosses through that tent and becomes Marie Antoinette. My daughter, Antoine. And greatest living actress, Judy Davis, gives a killer performance as one of the court women who teaches her everything. This, madame, is Versailles. This is Versailles. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. I love you. Will leave. You will leave all of Austria behind you. Mops. <laughs> you can have as many French dogs as you like. <laughs> the way she says French dogs. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, it. It moves me. This. 
This movie takes place right after the end of Barry Lipton because what gives Austria and France uh, peace is the end of the Seven Years' War. I guess it's the middle of It's in of the Barry middle of Lipton. Barry Lipton, yeah. Um, and so she's like, I have to marry my daughter off. Right pronto. The French alliance. Before they fight us again. Again. <laughs> You'd better have a child, Maria. I love how tender their relationship is. Well, they're babies. Yeah, that's the other. I mean, that's the other thing about this movie. Children. She's like Mm fifteen. They're children, and they're deciding the fate of the world. I mean, and there's the line because it's what it's 1768. I mean, it pushes forward. And she she's killed at age 37 in 1793. So she's literally. She says her age in the movie. She's like 14 or 15. It's like, honestly, she had her first period, and they were like, marry this bitch off. We have got a... We need this treaty. Uh, And they had to wait another 10 years. She's like, you're not a boy, but well, here you are. I love you. (laughs) You'll be all mine. Mm -hmm. I love the babies. The babies, like, actually French. Speaking French. She's like... Marie Antoinette. <laughs> Dauphin, mother. Dauphin. Oh my gosh. The, uh, the masked ball where she runs into... Jamie Dornan. The face blindness is still there. They I should have got uh, Jean-Luc Godard in this movie in one of the parts. And just like, oh, in they the background. Jean-Pierre Léon. Oh yeah, that would be He looks great in a wig. We found out a few years later. I was thinking the death of the King Louis the. 18th or whatever. The 14th grandfather of Rip Torn. Grandfather of Rip Torn? Is that right? I think it would be father. No, that's what I thought. Father of Rip Torn. Yeah. I don't know. It would have been. Because, well, I don't know. know. What if, I don't know. I don't know how these things work because Rip Torn is the 15th. Rip Rip Torn is daddy. And then Jason Schwartzman (laughs) is the 16th. Louis Louis Auguste. I know a lot. I know a lot about <laughs> French world world history. I'm eating chips, so just keep going. French lesson. Lesson. French history. <laughs> oh, are we in the red room? <laughs> that was a a, a poker. I mean, Jamie Dornan's here. Um, oh, Jamie Dornan shows up. I was like, mm. she just wants to fuck. She's like, mm, fuck Jason Schwartzman. He's not fucking me. I'm gonna fuck, fuck this guy, but she doesn't fuck him until she starts. He's the wrong key for this lock. Yeah, ah! she doesn't fuck right away. No. They meet and then they meet again, again. Ugh. Then they meet again. As I was reading Marie Antoinette's Wikipedia page at three o'clock in the morning the other night, <laughs> I just there's so many things this movie could have gotten into, such as her lesbian relationship, oh. such as the sexual orgies. That were yeah, rumored. She does. Cloistered, even. Mm-hmm. This is Vesa. You know, I think it's very interesting, rich, mm. that she uses contemporary pop music. Can you believe that? They're just a bunch of kids. They're just wow. kids with our converse. Oh. Uh, I don't think there's anything more. 
enlivening than when they're just like running around in their wigs in the oats in, gold, in the oh, field it's not, at it's sunset. It's not golden hour. So, it's sunrise. Yeah. Yeah. So so her birthday scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. That scene made me deeply sad. Yeah. Because it 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 it, it is it, deeply sad. Sun might as well be sudden. Slid right into right into my genre of just like sad teens. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. exactly what it is. Nice. Yeah. See, when I yeah, I love when she wants to clap at the oh, opera. Oh, it's a great moment when no one claps along no with her. No one claps. Like, How dare you? It's like me and the favorite gasping at Rachel Vice's black lace covering up mm. her bloody eye, her blood and black lace eye, mm. and no one clapping with me. Um, I love Kirsten Dunst's extremely lit when she says the iconic line. Let them eat cake. I would never say that. The way, There's something radical about the reimagining of the legacy of Maria Antoinette. Of one of the most hated women in history. Yeah. And and Sophia's saying a lot here, perhaps most obviously, that of all the people to point to in the room, she ain't the one. Yeah. I mean, why are, you're blaming her because she's the lady in charge, mm-hmm. but she's not actually in charge. Yeah. She's was reviled at court, had to fight tooth and nail to carve out her own piece where she could just celebrate herself and be herself. Mm-hmm. And then eventually she... I mean, she just like has fun. Yeah. And she's, why, why shouldn't she? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone hates her. Why how would she, she not, how would she know to not deplete the treasury? <laughs> like, no. And you know that, what I mean? No, she's and, 12 years old. No, and, but I, I, I was thinking about that too. It's like, it's, it's not as if she's the finance minister. Yeah. They let her do it. I mean, no they, one says, well, maybe rein it in Marie. All no they, one says that. Why didn't, I mean, it's because the people who were in charge didn't ultimately give a shit about mm-hmm. the people not, having bread like mm-hmm. Marie Antoinette says let them eat cake because she has no it's she has no idea of their struggle because yeah. she is the one percent I mean I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not up here standing for the aristocracy or anything but she's not in those war rooms discussing the political matters mm-hmm. of the day like she's just hanging out mm-hmm. it's not her job to know but Sophia is also saying maybe she should have known it's like it's this double-edged oh no of course. you know what I mean absolutely and that's and, what's well, that's what's really rich about because, this movie. Because oh, Dunst and Coppola are painting such an empathetic portrait mm-hmm. of the woman as a woman who has a lot of feelings um, and cares for others and herself, and especially cares a lot about struggle, mm-hmm. even though for her struggle means something very more champagne problems. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that's why people don't like Sophia, is that to be a person critiquing your own privilege means you have privilege. Mm-hmm. And that does rub a lot of men the wrong way mostly yeah i just when it comes to i think that sofia coppola and the coens for that matter tackle whiteness in their Mm -hmm. films in a way that it's fairly in that way and in a way that is fairly excoriating but with in in that coppola is is not celebrating privilege she Mm -hmm. she's articulating it as a prison most of the time and and that, that 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 keeps people from actually understanding how the world works outside of them and not saying, isn't that great? Isn't that, isn't that pure? It, it, it's, it's a critique. Um, yeah. But because she also has empathy for her characters, that's where it gets a little more provocative. I think yeah. it's like the Wolf of Wall Street thing. It's like, mm. it is asking you 
to both buy into, wouldn't this be great? But also, aren't these people garbage? Yeah, and, and, and it's all it's all in the first shot of the film for me where Maria... It, Maria. <laughs> you're, That's her birth I, name. I, I know, all our fake names. and it's all Her birth me. name was Maria. Maria Antoine. Maria. Where we have Kirsten Dunst like lounging about in a chaise with like a feather cap uh, on, uh, and she's just looking at the camera, basically daring you to say something. Yeah, like yeah. what? Mm-hmm. You know, what a film! What a what film! Fucking film! Love the last shot. Same. When I think about being a young all I thought at, about was, oh my god, they're gonna have to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> like as a production. <laughs> yeah, god, we're running so long, we can't really get too much into this, but like. Sophia Coppola convinced Versailles to let her shoot her movie. There. I know. I can't. I, I still can't believe that. that. Part of it. Yeah. I forgot about that. Like, like behind the scenes production detail. I love the IMDb trivia. Versailles. Big shot. There. Someone was like, "Where are we shooting this movie?" And Judy Davis just pops out of a box like a like a Jack in the Box. It's like Versailles. It's Versailles. It's Versailles. <laughs> Angela Bassett. It's Versailles. <laughs> um. I I love that. That's the- Versailles. <laughs> 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 oh, I, okay, last thing for me. I, I I remember so like with Brandon the music or like Ratatouille time warped you back. Oh. I had some moments like that. But seeing Kirsten Dunst run through the halls alone, sort of this halting mm-hmm. skip. Uh, in sort of a sad way, in a mm-hmm. blue dress. That mm-hmm. for me was the image that was so baked into my brain, and I had forgotten about mm-hmm. it. And once that happened, I was like, "Oh my god, everyone's gonna hate me when I come out of the closet." Oh. And I'm like, "I did it," and they do, but not for the Here same reason. Have you not seen it since high school either. I guess not. No. Oh no, I saw the first 45 minutes on a plane maybe a year Ace. ago. It counts in that I was like, holy shit. This, I mean, I loved it in high school. What a magic! But I film. didn't realize how stunning it was on a yeah. crafts level. I mean, just the cutting going on in the carriage in the beginning mm-hmm. is astounding, and the the way that she's playing with light. Mm-hmm. Well, but I'll just say one one last thing. So, the um, in Barry Lyndon, like it's all lit by candlelight, but then they're Barry filling Lyndon. it. They're filling it in in other places, mm-hmm. but in a way that is uh, uh, imperceptible, right? Mm-hmm. In Marie Antoinette, there's a moment where it's all dark in her boudoir, and then someone throws open a win- the, the 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 curtains on a window in the background. Mm-hmm. And then there's a moment where like just that light starts to pour in and then like all these lights pour in from behind mm. the camera on top of it. And I think there's an artificiality there that is getting into how it felt through the eyes of Marie Antoinette to be living mm-hmm. in this moment. And it's quite gilded because she has no idea what's going on outside. And it's the thing about when you're a teenager and you feel like you're living in a movie. Right. That sort of reinforces that idea for me with like the artificiality of those extra lights coming in. Yeah. But masked with or or, or, or I don't think she's trying to make you think all that light was coming from the window. Right. But there it still maintains a verisimilitude and like a hyper uh cinematic it's like quality. how an ai every table has a glow from it yeah. somehow which doesn't always work for me with kaminsky but yes AI there is great. Is. there's just a light AI coming out of someone's ass oh, <laughs> a great light coming out of a you're great just like, ass. oh yanush <laughs> silly rascal yanush is just like ferocious aren't i <laughs> do you have any last thoughts on marie good movie also profoundly sad I do too. I, I love know, indulging in my ennui and feeling the sadness. I love to feel ennui. Ennui's great. 
We watched Brooklyn the other day. Also, it was believed that... uh, Fuck yeah, Brooklyn. I just... See, I just wish that we got to see the end of her life so that we could see, like, the townsville being like, she fucks her brother, and we can, like, watch her crumble as, like... Well, it's not Barry Lipton. And just be like, I didn't do that. You have... Like, you you are all just lying about... Like, why are you doing this to me? Wouldn't you love to see that scene? I think it's important... I think it's it's important that we only see Marie in the palace. Yeah. I know. Because once we get outside of it, we shouldn't really be on her side. I know. It's just so dramatically rich. Yeah, but I mean that's why we have the passion of Joan of Arc, <laughs> mm, mm, mm. and it's and it's all set in that final mm. shot and which the Brasson Joan of Arc, which is also good. I haven't seen that. It's good. Um, it's like fifty minutes. And then you could and then the fi- it on the tonight. final shot as well, like sa- mm-hmm. says it all. Yes, it does. Great filmmaker, I am. Yeah, can you? I wonder what she's doing now. Well, ben, everyone. take me home tonight. Let's do it. This has been movies. I am I'm Ben Emby. You can find me on Twitter at Real. I don't know why I'm doing Australian. <laughs> you can find me on t- Twitter at Real Todd Haynes. <sighs> I think that's right. My name is Daniel Crook. You can find me on the internet at Daniel Crook with three O's. And I found myself thinking on this third viewing of Barney Lipton how. Kubrick really knows how to shoot the hell out of a boxing scene. Mm. It's prevalent in his early photography, mm. his early films, and it's in this film too. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Raging Bull Hoomst. Well, Raging I wouldn't go that Bull far. Hoomst. Sixth greatest film of all time. Hoomst. to Ben's top 30 films of all time. Have you plugged that yet? Hoomst. On this podcast? I don't yeah. think I have. Maybe you should. Flexoflight.com. That's all I'll say. Hell yeah. Thank you. And Brandon Kirby, you can find me on Twitter at BKKirby. Please follow us on Twitter at MoviesIMO. Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And tell us, what's your favorite receptacle to vomit in? <laughs> what's your favorite thing to eat immediately after you vomit that already made you vomit? My favorite is the thing that made me vomit. <laughs> the blue cake. The blue I like cake. to have caked, vomity... <laughs> No pun intended, caked, blue, vomity, icing around my lips. What person in your life did you throw away, like, discarded trash that was actually the love of your life? Oh, God. I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say, which person in your life is your favorite? Is your favorite. I thought tender. Just low-hanging it's tender. Fruit. Tender, open, vulnerable. Vulnerable. <sighs> like Kate Beckinsale getting pulled out of in Pearl Harbor no it's like Kate Beckinsale getting hauled out of her shotgun apartment in a stretcher in the oh, last days fuck. of disco helpless tender open oh, Jesus. flat on her back next week yeah, what's next week what is next week, next week we oh, are wow. doing chop lifters Corey oh, <laughs> chop lifters <laughs> get to the chop lifters <laughs> I've been wanting to say the word (laughs) choplifter for so long. (laughs) (laughs) Hirokazu Koreeda out to Uh, shoplift our wigs. And we'll also be talking about some of his earlier films, just two of them. We're talking about Nobody Knows. We're doing Nobody Knows and Still Waking. Walking. Walking. Yeah. I always get those. I got Like Father, Like Son at the library. Oh. I, I would like to see that someday. Well, it's not too late to switch it on the homework, but. We should stick to what we're doing. Yeah, I think. No, yeah, please switch to what we're doing because I'm like, 
minutes and nobody knows. Oh, okay, great. Thank yeah. You. I didn't get to watch like Father Like Son because it I was I do doing do shit I do for the my entire four day rental mm. period, so I'll have mm. to I'll have to rent it again. Mm. Nope, but you two love that movie. I loved it. We saw it together. I won't Today, have time. Together. <laughs> together. Today, we saw it. We saw it together. Together. <laughs> With Frank and Michael. Yeah, we did. Yeah. It was a group outing. Good fun. Royal Theater. Yeah. I love it. It's a great movie. How fun. Choplifters. Choplifters. Choplifters! <laughs> the winner is Jane Fonda. Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much. <laughs>